evening. Welcome, fellow humans, to the Writing is on the Wall broadcast, coming to you from WHKW 1220, a Salem radio station. If you wish to call in and ask for clarification or to comment, please call 888-677-9673. Once again, that phone number is 888-677-9673. Please address me as T.A. because I am the teacher's assistant. And that phone number, once again, it is 888-677-9673. Now, I start off each week by telling you that this program is a non-religious, non-spiritual investigation of everything we can discern that was created, recorded, and modeled for us in the Bible. That last part's pretty important, too. So, <clears throat> you don't know that much about me, so I'm going to fill in a little bit. I'm a puzzler. Always have been. Um, The tougher the puzzle, the more I enjoy it. I don't quit. Um, If if I have to put it aside for a day or a week or a month or a year, I'll do so. But I will eventually come back. Something my mother taught me when I was very young is that your brain never sleeps. She was a nurse. And she says... Your mind, on the other hand, takes little mini naps and relaxes and does lots of different things. But if you set it a task before you go to sleep, it will continue to work on that task. She was right. I got sent um, in today's email from Prager University. It's the first time I've ever gotten one of my email. Um, a video, five-minute video that, that Mr. Prager is famous for called Follow the Science. And it explains how um, you can't really follow the science. Uh, science is something that you have to work at. And it's a kind of a check on what um, liberal folks are trying to tell everybody else that they should do, which is whatever they tell them to do. And that Here's another reason that you should do what we're telling you, because we have science on our side, and that's not correct. The problem is um, that we, have, we being um, humanity in general, have not twigged yet, have not woken up to the fact that the Bible has a completely different structure. It's a work structure. And it's called objective decision-making. And that's something that um, we, in order to be successful and to continue to live and learn and grow and actually make it to adulthood where we can get our assignment, (laughs) we have got to switch from the subjective decision-making tactics that we use now, to objective. What does that mean? I've been trying to, to illustrate that over the past seven, eight weeks. The subjective means everything um, and how it relates to you. What do you think? What do you feel? What do the people that you call friends think and feel? How do they approach things? 
um, what they see, what they hear, everything that you know, everything that you know, unless you're an astrophysicist, and even then, 99% of everything you know, was taught to you by another human. So they had to conceive of it or be told about it. They had to realize what was going on, maybe even understand it, although we're way, way behind on that one. Um, but they had to have some sort of access to that uh, idea, thought, feeling, perspective. And then once they had that access and they felt they could own it, then they could pass it on. That is the main problem. Um, this all started with Adam, Adam and Eve, in the garden uh, with the snake. And if you don't believe it was a snake, if you believe it was something, whatever, you know, belief is subjective thought process. It's an assignation of earnestness. Now, reality is something that does not need you to believe in it. It is. If you don't believe in it, then you are going to have a problem. Reality is not going to have a problem. The thing is that Adam was ensorcelled, seduced, cozened, whatever terms you care to use, into thinking and accepting that knowledge and its concomitant power was the top of the heap. That was the thing. That's what God had, right? That's what the snake said. So it must be correct. Well, God obviously had power, so he had to have knowledge. So therefore, if you had knowledge, you had power, and you were as good as God. Well, now we know that that's not correct. I mean, he lived his life, and he never, ever repented. He never said to God, boy, did I screw up. I'm sorry. What should I have been learning? What should I have been doing? He never asked for forgiveness. He never asked to be shown the correct way. And that's the problem. That's the problem that we still have today, more than 6,000 years later. And that is that we've never been shown the way. Unless, unless we read the Bible for content. If you read the Bible to such depth that you're able to figure out what they were saying and why they were saying it, then you may have picked up on objective decision-making. Now, a case in point is a gentleman who um, I'm in talks with. I don't know if you call it talks, really. I've asked. He has not answered. Dennis Prager, if he would come on my show for an hour so that we could discuss this. He has not answered me yet. But I will be sending him this hour this evening, and I'll also send him some stuff that I'm writing up. Dennis Prager is as close as you can get 
to someone who is objectively structured their life. All right? Now, the problem is he built his foundation instead of on God and God's understanding and knowledge and, and faith that we would succeed. He's built his foundation on his religion. Now, the problem with religions is they all start off the same. That is, we are going to study whatever it happens to be. NFL, NASCAR, um, a video game, or God. And then we are going to get better at it because we're studying it. Well, the problem with that is everybody chooses to study it in the way that they think they should study it. So what does that tell you right there? That tells you you're never going to get an understanding of anything you don't already conceive of as possible. Now, I understand this is a kind of a heavy philosophical concept, but if any of you took logic or philosophy in college, then you will completely understand, well, yeah, of course. And that's a problem. God had the Bible written, not just written, modeled for us. In other words, the Jews were created. And if you read Deuteronomy, even Exodus, he'll tell you very plainly. They were created. They were brought together, and then they were, I think the term he used is, uh, is hardened or fired in the furnace of Egypt, and then they were set free, and then they were allowed to, the people who didn't agree or didn't believe, but they escaped with the rest, they were allowed to die off or leave um, until the core was left. And those were the Israelites, those were the Jews of the future. Now, why did God do this? just because he liked a certain group of people over all the other groups of people? No. God knew that there would be a time when we would come to the end of our testing period. Now, the old Jews call this olam hazeh, which means the Middle Age. And they thought it should be about 6,000 years young and son of a gun. We're about 6,000 years along. And they also thought that this was our study period. This was our time. And we were to make all our mistakes during this time. And boy, have we made a lot of mistakes. And that we were to learn from those mistakes and actually grow up. Well, as you've probably seen, we have not grown up. We're still at that stage where we're trying to figure out is, hey, is what's going on what should be? Is this the way things are supposed to be? Nah, that can't be. So the very next question is going to be, well, what should it be like? And that's where we are today. I'm here to tell you what you need to do, which is follow the Bible, in order to find out what it should be like. Now, I'm ahead of the game. Mr. Prager, with his 
PragerU and sending that follow the science. If you can find it, um, should be shouldn't be too difficult. Look it up. It's very well done, but it's done from a subjective point of view, which is entirely understandable because all of humanity was raised on the subjective point of view, myself included, Dennis Prager included. But Mr. Prager has studied the Bible so assiduously over his lifetime that I'm not, I don't think he even realizes it, but he's using objective decision-making parameters in order to arrive at the information that he gets. Now, he may place that somewhat subjectively, and that's because he never went all the way down the way Moses told him to, to the beginning of man on earth. Now, if he had done that, instead of stopping at about, what, about 3,400 years ago, when Moses um, gave, uh, basically spoke out loud, and they had recorded the Ten Commandments, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and finally Deuteronomy, the contract, or the covenant, if you will. And also he had written down the prequel, which was Genesis. And I'm really glad he did, because without Genesis, and without him telling us to look at Genesis, we wouldn't understand. Now, early in Exodus, Moses goes to the burning bush, and he's confronted by God. Just a voice speaking out of this bush that is burning but is not being consumed, and he's going, hmm, gee, I wonder what this is. And the voice of God confronts him, and he says, well, um, excuse me, sir, um, who shall I tell my friends I was talking to? <laughs> you can imagine, I think, what he's feeling. Now, he's kind of like a manager herdsman at this point. <laughs> and God shows up and starts talking to him. So God's a little ticked off that he doesn't know who he is. He says, I am. In other words, there's only one of me. I don't have a name to separate me from anyone else. I am the beginning of everything, of all humanity. Of course, he didn't say it quite like that. We find that out later. But Moses is kind of impressed, but he's also kind of scared, and he's also, I don't know if I better tell anybody about this. So read the rest of, of at least the first four or five chapters of Exodus to find out what he does. It's very interesting. But that was, God's never had a name, but his next two job titles are just that, job titles. When asked later on what he was about, meaning what do you do, um, since he wasn't going to give his name if he had one, he said, I am the Lord. Now, the Lord is a job title. He says that I have responsibility for overseeing everything 
that happens in this area for my master. Now, we say God has no master. Certainly never has one showed up here on earth that we know of. We won't go into that whole thing on the Mount Horeb. Because it doesn't really matter. People are at the top of subjective decision-making. There's always a king or a prince or, in this case, a god or other gods. The reason that the Israelites had so much trouble with thinking about other gods and not understanding is because they all thought subjectively because that is what Adam chose for them. In his ignorance, he thought that was the best, and he thought that made him like God. He couldn't realize, hey, I'm an ignorant child. I don't know which way is up, and I shouldn't be making a decision like this and then passing it down to my children. Of course, who then passed it down, who passed it down, who passed it down. But that's the way these things work. God had the Bible written for us, had it modeled for us, and told us that we would have to overcome our own desires to be imperfect. Now, that term imperfect, a lot of people say when something goes right, oh, perfect. That's not perfect. There is no human perfect, period. But another way of putting it back then, and it should be now, is complete. When you join with God, when you open the way, and I realize this is all the kind of things that subjective pastors tell you all the time, but when you allow yourself to be joined with God, then you are complete. And that's what growing up to be an adult human is all about. Now, that's not something you're going to hear in any church service, unfortunately. And that's not something you would hear from a friend or a colleague because they can't think of that because it's not subjective. It's not power-oriented. It's not place-oriented. It's not picked out of a lineup. There's nothing specific about it. I'm using these terms to give you an idea of all the different ways we buttress subjective decision-making. Now, with subjective decision-making, you get knowledge, and knowledge is power. But with objective decision-making, you get understanding. And that's the part that God wanted us to have. And that one's really easy to see. That one's in uh, Jeremiah 9.24. When Jeremiah asked what it was that God wanted for humanity, God replied that he wanted us to be able to brag about the fact that we understood God and everything he had done for us and that he was justified in doing those things for us. Now that is the absolute top. That is way above knowledge and power. 
I don't care if you're the Pope, you are not going to get anywhere near that. As a matter of fact, if you're the Pope, you got a lot of, long way to go. But the fact of the matter is no human can get there without opening themselves up to God. Unfortunately, the only way I have to describe that to you at this point is subjectively, because that's the only thing you know, and that is the spiritual part that I say that we will not go into. This program is a non-religious, non-spiritual investigation of everything we can discern that was created, recorded, and modeled for us in the Bible. It's part of my beginning. So the thing that I am focused on is not the religious, which means that people are trying to tell you, well-meaning people are trying to tell you that somehow you can subjectively find the mixture of things to do and say and be so that you will be one with God, and that is not correct. That is just not correct. And we have so many examples of being told in the, in the Bible about putting new wine in old wineskins. There's one that is a favorite of mine uh, about trying to find whiskey in a bottle of wine. It's just not going to happen. The reason it's not going to happen is you have to do as Jesus told us, and unfortunately, we don't have anywhere in the Gospels where he actually outlined how to do it other than the general when he said basically pay attention to everything it's in the original testament given by God. And that is that we have to shift everything away that we have worked on all our lives and start to build that objective structure. Now, I'd like to start into it right this second, but we're about a few seconds away from our commercial break, and I'd love to take that. And when we come back, I will tell you the structure that you need to do and why you need to do it, and hopefully that will give you an idea. If you hear it more than once, maybe it'll catch on. Swamp, fake news, racist hats? Are you afraid to believe anymore? Well, let me tell you of one brave soul who, like David, slew Goliath. The true story of one man's fight against greed, corruption, and insatiable ambition in small-town Ohio, Checkmate reveals why passion and integrity are rare in the corridors of swing state politics. If you want to hear the truth, how the swamp operates in Ohio with all the political corruption in real time, get Steve Krause's tell-all, true-life story, Checkmate, One Man's Fight Against Political Corruption, available on Amazon. As a newly elected state representative, Steve takes you behind the scenes, behind the closed doors, and rips back the curtain to expose all the lies, the deceit, and power-hungry gamesmanship. Checkmate reads like a TV drama, but it's not. Once you start it, you won't be able to put it down. Checkmate, one man's fight against political corruption by Steve Krause, available on Amazon today. 
Be afraid. Be very afraid. There are those in Washington who want the IRS to take more of your hard-earned money. Are you tired of being the perpetual cash cow for every scheme, unreasonable program, and for all the fraud, waste, and abuse in our system? Well, good news. I can help. George Satari has almost 40 years of experience helping people like you keep more of what you make. It makes no sense that the more you make, the more they take. Let George help you keep your money away from the government bureaucratic waste and in your pocket. Call 216-651-1120 right now and schedule your free consultation today. Instead of a victim, you'll You'll be be the the victor. victor. With many success stories, George helps with tax planning, estate planning, financial and business analysis, and more. The new tax law has many ways to save money with retirement planning, accelerated depreciation, up to 20% exception of net earnings, and so much more. Call 216-651-1120. That's 216-651-1120. You earn it, we'll help you keep it. That's George Satari, CPA, 216-651-1120. Welcome back, folks. That wasn't too tough, was it? <clears throat> now, there's some things that I want to um, get across to you, and I've told you in the past, and I want you to read Deuteronomy chapter 1, Deuteronomy chapter 4, and Deuteronomy chapter 30. Now, I'm going to read a little bit from Deuteronomy 4 to give you an idea, all right? This is what we call um, a characterization, uh, setting the stage. This is done by Moses, and he's reminding Israel to be loyal to the Lord. And he starts off, chapter 4, saying, Listen to the rules and laws that I'm about to teach you, and obey them, so that you'll be able to enter and take possession of the land that the Lord your God, the God of your ancestors, is giving you. Never add anything to what I command you or take anything away from it. Then you will be able to obey the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. Now, if we Christians utilize this and search the Old Testament for the information, the wisdom that is there, then we wouldn't have too many problems. Um... But we did this part that he said next not to do. Starting in 5, he says, I have taught you the laws and rules that the Lord my God commanded me. You must obey them. Faithfully obey these laws. This will show the people of the world your wisdom and insight. However, be careful. Watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things which you have seen with your own eyes. Don't let them fade from your memory and teach them to your children and grandchildren. Well, this is where America ran aground. We are living through the same failure for the same reasons that the Israelites lived through 3,400 years ago. That's right. 
Everything that happened there was a model for us here, up time, starting in the 17th century up until today. Our forebears, the Protestants, were hunted, murdered. They were definitely chased. They had to leave Europe and go somewhere where they wouldn't be killed, their businesses taken, their cattle, their children. They were persecuted. Gee, doesn't that sound familiar? Then they had to flee. They took whatever they could. They sold what they could. They got onto ships instead of walking through the desert. And instead of crossing the Jordan, they crossed the Atlantic. But they came because they were God's children by choice, which is John 1.12. In other words, he assembled them, but not, he wasn't there physically to guide them. We had the Bible at this point, and that's what we were supposed to use. Now, we could pray, and I hope we do, for direction, for understanding, but at the same point, you're supposed to use the Bible for what it was intended, and that is to inform and direct your steps. And if you read it deep enough, if you read it for content rather than just what the words seem to say to you because somebody else translated them that way, then you'll discover that God said that you should use my faith in you as the unshakable foundation on which to build a civilization based on logic modified by reason buttressed by wisdom and the fourth cornerstone was grace and truth and that's the one jesus brought and that's also in john so we got all this information but have we followed it our founders did they built a nation just like that now most of them were deists and i've been told that many religious people look at me that way and that is, they not only believed in God, they accepted that he was our ultimate. Not just the director, but we were part of him, he was part of us, and we are the ones that didn't realize it. And we're the ones that had to work at improving that connection. So they set up a country that was basically the Christian homeland. And yes, they took it from many different tribes of Indians who lived here, just the way the Israelites took it from many other different peoples that lived there. And they created something that was a beacon to one and all. But, and here's the but, after about... 800 years, 750 to 800 years, the Jews had screwed up so badly that God pulled the covenant. Now, why did he do that? The reason he did that is they weren't being 
serious about it at all. They weren't working at it. They had not discovered or followed the information left for them specifically. The people that was sent to them, they asked, please, Lord, if you're going to send us someone to tell us something, make sure that they are born from one of our tribes so that we will know that they come for you. God said, I'll do that. But if what they say doesn't come true, you'll know that it didn't, that they didn't come from me. And that is the best way. Of course, most of us don't want to wait that long. Understandable. But the fact of the matter is that even when Jeremiah came, Jeremiah was allowed to ask questions. We got feedback from God about why do evil people prosper? Now, that one's a little bit tougher, but you, and you have to understand why God allows that to happen. He said, how will you respond if you come to a tough part if nobody's ever given you a hard time before? How can you run with horses if you can't even keep up with your neighbor? So we had to have opposition. The opposition had to be quite capable, almost as capable as we are, maybe even as capable as we are. And we had to work to overcome evil. And we have not yet done that. But we need to get to work. And God has told us how in the Bible. I'm going to have to print something up so that people can see it. You should be able to see it on my website if everything's working well. Why don't you check it out? It's called thewritingisonthewall.net. Thewritingisonthewall.net. And you can ask questions there, and I'll pick them up, and I will go over them the next week on the, over the radio here. And if there's something you need explained, please ask. Now, the PragerU video that I told you about before and I want you to watch it. It's only five minutes long. It's by Brian Keating, and he's a University of California at San Diego astrophysicist. How he got into uh, University of California College, I don't know, but he is awfully intelligent and objective. Mr. Prager is also pretty objective in his rationalizations, in his thinking even though he doesn't go all the way down beneath his religion, all the way to basically the Garden of Eden, which is what Moses told him to do. Unfortunately, no one else does either. So if you are intelligent and capable and work to make sure that you don't make mistakes in your thinking, then you're being objective. And the more often you do that, the better you'll get at it. But if you don't set up your objective decision-making skills to build a structure, 
based, as I've told you, on the faith that God has in us, using the four cornerstones that he gave us and the ten pillars of civilization, we call them the Ten Commandments, if you don't use that, then what you're building won't be on shifting sand, but it won't amount to much. It'll be maybe a one story if you can get a roof on it. But if you use everything that God gave you, including the Bible and including his instruction, then you will build skyscrapers the like of no one has ever seen. And I don't mean physically here on earth. I mean categorically. You will be able to see and understand things that your neighbor, who is only looking at things subjectively, only looking at things that other humans have told him exist, won't be able to see. That's why when Jesus, again, in John 1, was telling Nathaniel near the end of the chapter, if you thought it was a big deal that I could see you from afar underneath that tree, stick around. Wait until you see angels going from me to heaven and coming back down from heaven to me. Then you'll be impressed. And that's it. If you do not have your eyes opened, you won't see it. Now, we don't know. We haven't heard from Nathaniel after that to hear whether he had seen that with his own eyes or not. But we know that he was impressed and he stuck around. He was a guy who, I think it was in verse 46, said, Oh my goodness, nothing has ever, good has ever come out of Nazareth. The reason he said that is because Nazareth was where the Nazarenes, the area the Nazarenes lived in. If you were a Nazarene, that means that you took a holy order. You consecrated yourself to God. You would not cut your hair. I think that's where the little locks come from on the uh, Jewish Hasids. But you wouldn't cut your hair unless, of course, you happened to be in a place where someone died and then you shaved it off and started growing and there was a whole rigmarole of things you had to do uh, one day, one month, and one year later. So, I mean, there was, these were purification rituals that were so extreme that the Levite priests didn't want to have anything to do with these people because they looked like pikers next to them. The Sadducees and the Pharisees, again, the scribes, nobody wanted to have anything to do with these people, which is why they were stuck in Nazareth, away from everything and why nobody ever looked for anything to come out of that area, which, of course, is why Jesus came from that area. He came from the area least well thought of. He came from the, the area where nobody expected anything. And what did he use? He used the Bible to tell people what it is that they needed to do. Now, the people that listened to him and listened to the people who listened to them were saved. They understood. They started to structure their lives 
such that they would be children of God. Now, John, who was Jesus's best friend forever, knew this, and John, it seems, is the guy who put together 24 of the 27 books that are in the New Testament. He lived to be, I think, either 96 or 98 years old, which is extremely old for that time. But anyhow, John knew that there were people who would not be willing or able to commit at that time. Some of them were married women who were not able to commit while their husbands were alive to something that he was not committed to. Now, male or female, it didn't make any difference if you weren't willing to commit, but you believed in your heart that Jesus was right and this was the way things could be gone. You could bookmark that opportunity. And that's also in John 1. And that's basically, if you believe in Jesus' name, you don't have to follow the whole program. You don't have to commit. You don't have to be a proselytizer. But if you believed in what Jesus said and knew what you had to do to get to God and you thought that this was correct, even though you're thinking subjectively, if you said, yes, Lord, I believe in your name, then you bookmark that opportunity. You would get another opportunity. And that's where we take the idea of salvation. Not only in doing what Jesus said to do, committed, following what he asked us to do in order to bring about the new world, the world where humanity will be one with God. But just bookmarking the opportunity. Now, what Jesus was referring to was something in Deuteronomy 30. And that is, basically, Deuteronomy 30 is Moses telling the Israelites that you're going to screw up. And you're still going to get another chance. And that's what, if you can look up Deuteronomy 30 and want to read it, I'll read it to you now. All these blessings and curses I have spoken about will happen to you. No escape. Take them to heart when you are among all the nations where the Lord your God will scatter you. In other words, God knows you're going to screw up and you're not going to live up to it. And you know what? You're going to get a second chance. If you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul, doing everything I command you today, he will restore your fortunes. Gee, does this sound like what Jesus was talking about in John 1? John's recorded, rather, is reporting what Jesus was talking about. He will have mercy on you and gather you from all the nations of the world 
where he will scatter you. Now, we know that the Jews lived out of Israel for a long, long time. They were scattered into every country across the globe. And here it is, 3,400 years ago, Moses is telling them, yeah, you're going to screw up. Yeah, you're going to have to suffer through this, but you got a second chance coming. The Lord your God will bring you to the land your ancestors owned. Gee, is Israel back in Palestine? Hmm. You will take possession of it. Gee, I guess that one came true too. And the Lord will make you more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors were. I'm not finding anything incorrect in this, and this was written more than 3,400 years ago. Verse 6, The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants. Okay, this has not happened yet. This is why we should be thankful for the Jewish people. They are still not just the canaries in the coal mine, They're the examples that God told them that they would be, that they were created to be. And we, God's children by choice, Christians, we get the benefit of this. We are in that time where we realize things are starting to go to hell for us here in the United States, too. Is being dissolved out from under us by the children who are obedient to evil. We call them liberals or leftists or whatever. But the fact of the matter is they are, and they think they're doing a wonderful thing. They don't realize that they've been seduced, and they're fools. They don't understand that. So while they are busy destroying the United States, cheating if they need to, lying, Because you don't count. I mean, you're not as good as they are. They are better than you, and they think that they have the right to tell you how to live and when to live. (sighs) That all started in, of all places, Geneva, Switzerland, January 1546. And that's when the Liberal Party was started by Pierre Emily. And I will have to go into that next week. It's way too beautiful out to talk about evil, but that's where, and this is my opinion, a subjective human opinion, that's where evil went all in. Pulled out all the stops, said we're going for the, for the line, the, the final finish line, the dividing line. So we'll talk about that next week. But I want you to understand that we are in this, if, in this, this sweet spot in between Israel being populated and run by Jews who are basically getting better. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors were. And that is in the process of happening in Israel. 
The amount of Jews in the other parts of the world are staying the same or going down. But the number of Jews in Israel is increasing. They don't really go in too much for um, abortion in Israel. So we will see what we will see. But the fact is that the rest of the world is starting to get an idea, like Mr. Prager and Prager U and the other conservative, subjective people are starting to get the idea that, hey, wait a minute, something is going on here. Something that, um, I think I've only got about five minutes. Something's going on here, and we're not really sure what, but this is how we're going to attack it. And that is important. Everybody that listens to me is ahead of the game, and that's because I'm getting it straight from the Bible. But listen to Mr. Prager. Look up that one, Follow the Science, on PragerU. Look at all his videos. They're great, I'm sure. They may not be as informed as they could be, but none of them are incorrect. At least none of the ones that I've seen. <clears throat> But the thing that you need to be real certain about is since we have this time, what are we going to do with it? I'm here to tell you that restructuring your life objectively is a lot more difficult. It's not like throwing a switch. Jesus told you the same thing. When he was talking to Nicodemus, he said, it's like being born again. Now, Nicodemus could only see the, the animal. Well, I can't go back into my mother's womb. I'm too big. That's the only part he could see. He could not understand that Jesus was saying, if you structure your approach to life, what you learn and think, and what you perceive, if you only use the goggles that you grew up with, the human goggles, then everything will be subjective. You will not find out anything that some other human doesn't know. This was Solomon's lament, it's called. And that's when he said, there's nothing new under the sun. Well, he's correct as long as you look at everything subjectively. Although now, if you say, you know, going to Mars is still under our sun and it's new, okay, we'll give you that one. But at the same point, he was speaking subjectively, and he was bored, and he was tired, and there's a lot to go through in, in that portion of the Bible that he wrote. But at the same time, if you're subjective, there is nothing new. Everything is just shades of the same thing that other people have seen, other people have done, other people have thought, other people have felt. You are... One in a trillion throughout time, all right? If, on the other hand, you do what Jesus said and what the Bible, the original Testament, tells you to do, and you structure your life along reality, what we call thinking outside the box, you will see if you begin to make judgments in, is this real? Does this work? Will this support everyone? Will this raise all boats? What can I build when I do it this way? 
There's no shortcuts. There's no cheap shots. There's no... There's no, this will be better for me than everyone else if you're doing things objectively. There's no racism. There's no um, poor. There's no rich. There's no, I'm better than you. Um, None of that. None of that has any bearing at all. Because if you're building objectively, it's not what you think or feel or perceive that counts. It's reality that counts. What's real? And that's the thing that you have to be thinking about and that we will talk about next week. All right, next week. I've got about 30 seconds left, and so I want you to understand that God loves you, but he cannot grow up for you. And next week, we will get more into evil and John Calvin. Look up John Calvin and find out how and when capitalism was created. Thank you, and I'll see you next Tuesday.